0: This is the 69th episode of the Where Others Won't podcast, and if you're just finding the show, I hope you'll check out some of the previous episodes, which include guests like world-leading organizational psychologist Adam Grant, Vayner Media's chief heart officer Claude Silva, and Canterbury Crusaders head coach Scott Robertson. My guest on this episode is former South Sydney Rabbitohs and Brisbane Broncos head coach, Anthony Seabold. Anthony was the NRL coach of the year in 2018, but was chased from the game less than two years later after switching from the Rabbitohs to the Broncos. He's a head coach who's lived out the tough stuff in one of Australia's most high-profile environments, I hope you enjoy my conversation with rugby league coach, Anthony Seabold. Saves of all the things that have happened off the back of the tough stuff, meeting you has been Something that I'm the most grateful for, mate. How are you doing?
1: I'm going well, Cody, and um, certainly, mate. The feelings mutual, mate. It's been um, it's been good to meet you, mate. Um, as I said, I didn't know you before I read your book, and it was uh, really powerful for me, mate. Um, at a really sort of um, opportune time, um, you know. I suppose in my career, mate, to so read it and, and just think, you know, what? I'm not the only one going through some of the. Well, I'm not the only one who's had. Um, has gone through some of the, the things you talk about in the book, mate, so no, it's been good to connect
0: Yeah, I appreciate that, and as a Canberra boy uh, who grew up on the Raiders um, obviously we, we have that connection as well with you as a former yeah. player And
1: <laughs> Yeah, I've seen a couple of photos of you, mate, as you've set me <laughs> and, uh, with, with um, some of the old Raiders gear on um, but yeah, no, mate, I, I, I love my time, I had a couple of years in Canberra, which is great my wife's from Canberra and um, my brother-in-law played for the Raiders. So, yeah, got a great connection with with, with Canberra and, um, yeah, really yeah, enjoyed my time at the Raiders.
0: I'm looking forward to diving into some of the topics here. We're kind of going to go through the book and talk about your experiences in coaching. Um, but just to kind of level set for everyone, particularly in North America. So you're a, a former rugby league player. You moved into coaching. You've also... Um, spent some time lecturing at university and I've got a teaching background and you know your coaching experience first at South Sydney so for those who aren't as familiar club owned by Russell Crowe and then uh, you moved up to the Brisbane Broncos who are the Manchester United let's call it or the the Yankees or the Lakers of the National Rugby League and you had some incredible experiences um, I've heard you say I had 14 really good years and then a a couple of pretty crappy ones. Yeah. But uh, really looking forward to kind of going through this with you. So let's start there. As we kind of talk about the first chapter in my book, everyone thinks you're an idiot. What was it like going from being coach of the year to two years later, exiting a club and basically having everyone think that you can't coach? Because that's just hard for me to fathom, let alone yeah. you having actually gone through it.
1: Yeah, well, that's essentially what happened, mate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's why you're, the first chapter in the book resonated with me, mate. Like, yeah, I, I be, as you said, mate, I've been coaching professionally. I think before I resigned in August of last year, that was my fifteenth year um, as a full-time professional coach. You know, prior to that, as you said, mate, I was a lecturer at university and, and I uh, taught at. at at um, school for for a couple of years. And um, yeah, it was really challenging. <laughs> I think everything I did, um, when I made the decision to go to the Broncos, and, and it was a business decision, mate. it was a really, really difficult decision. It was highly emotional. It was highly reported in the media here in Australia. I really loved the South Sydney Rabbitohs, mate. It was a great club, um, had a great connection with the community there. And we found ourselves really improving and had some success. Um, you know, we went from sort of twelfth a couple of years in a row to you know being in a preliminary final um, with with Sydney Roosters, who are one of the really um, you know um, consistent teams out here in Australian sport. And and you know, ultimately we didn't make the grand final, but maybe we made significant improvement. But what happened was, mate, I, I was offered a, a, a well five years with a six year in my favour um, option um, yeah, deal, so a six year deal essentially for you know, significant financial reward. And the the Rabbitohs, um the team I was coaching, offered me a three-year deal. And so it was half the, the time, half the money. And I hate talking about the financial side, but I, I had an opportunity, mate, that not only set myself, my family up, but my parents and um, other people really close to me, mate. And I made that really emotive really decision. And um, you talk about everyone thinks you're an idiot. Pretty much from the moment I made that decision, everyone thought I was an idiot, mate. You know, I was... It was a controversial decision. If I had my time again, mate, would I make it? I'm not sure. But, yeah, everyone thought I was an idiot from that stage forward with regards to every decision I made. Um, I got some right. I got plenty wrong, mate, you know. and But that's how it felt. You know, I I was really fortunate to be um, given that recognition in 2018 as the coach of the year. But that was more of a... Recognition for so not just myself, mate, but like all the coaching staff, or performance staff, in the playing group, because we did make significant strides. And as you know, Cody, it's not just about the head coach, mate. There's so many people who who work really hard, who are really diligent, who you know, who, who help you know, who help teams achieve um, improvement. But yeah, mate, it was really hard when I was at the Broncos. We yeah, there was a lot of angst around my appointment. You know, a lot of people wanted um, an ex-legend of, of the of the club to be appointed, and um, it was really emotional because there was a legend um, of our game and of coaching in Australia who was the head coach, who the Broncos moved on. So it was highly controversial, mate. And, and you're right, I I really struggled, mate, with with a lot of the criticism. Um, every decision I made, mate, was highly Publicised and written about, and yeah, I, I felt you know, like it, yeah, it, it, I, that chapter resonated with me, mate. Because um, yeah, like everyone thinks you should be cared, pretty much. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah, by the my, by, my time uh, by the sorry, by the time I, I resigned at the club, everyone thought I couldn't coach. I suppose you know, if you're looking from the outside in, um, results went backwards, and you think what's what's this boat doing? Yeah, so mate, it was challenging, but. Like I said, mate, you know, plenty of learnings, but uh, yeah, I think everyone thought I was an idiot or a dickhead I mean, by the time I finished.
0: <laughs> so, what did that do to your? faith in yourself and your own ability because I kind of want to talk I'll revisit this topic at the end as we go into you know talking about belonging and connection and things like that but did it rattle your belief in yourself to know that there was external pressure is one thing but often when it moves into internal pressure as well it can really impact your talent I guess let's call it your talent like your ability to access your talent
1: yeah, mate, it did have an impact, Cody. There's no doubt about that. As you said before, mate, you know, I was talking about this. I, I had 14 really good years or really positive years as a coach where I learnt, grew, you know, had some success, had some failures, but, you know, the failures were opportunities to learn and get better. And, but my last sort of probably 12 months in the job at the Broncos was, was, re- was really challenging and... I did question myself a lot on, you know, is this what I want to do? Am I, you know, am I helping or am I hindering what the club's trying to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, mate, there was a lot of self-reflection. The thing that probably I struggled with, mate, was um, my processes had always, well, the processes, you know, that that I'd, you know, developed and, and learned and added to and, you know had always seemed to you know um, help players be better and what i found in the last year that the, the broncos was our performance is really poor mate you know what i mean and um yeah, yeah. and i don't know whether yeah I, you know there's a lot of a lot of things why we were poor obviously you, know, you need your best players in the park mate to perform well but yeah it just it just seemed to go wrong and then obviously uh, you know our, our performances were poor uh, ultimately, I put up my hand, but but I, I did feel in the end, mate, like your chapter says, everyone thinks you're an idiot. Well, that's, oh, I essentially felt like that in the end. I thought, mate, you know, it's just best for me to, to resign and, and step away from that situation.
0: To everyone listening as well, I mean, your apprenticeship in both playing and coaching is literally it as good as it can get and so you and then you went on to win coach of the year before you even got there so you know there's there's no doubting that you can coach it's it's funny just to see over and over and over again what that pressure can do to people who you know are in the top one percent of talent and just that the lack of belief from the outside seeps in to you yeah. Uh, and that's why I was keen to start off actually the, the book with that chapter, because I, it's, it's little covered and little talked about. Yeah. And then the result of that is it kind of goes into the the second chapter where you know, the, your fiercest rival is yourself. So you and know, I've talked about how you kind of went into this mode of, of trying to outwork everyone and yeah and, and, and that then almost facilitated that spiral as well because you kind of became obsessive with just
1: work. Cody, I think when I've coached at my best, so probably one of my most favourite coaching experiences was the South Sydney experience, you know, because we were winning games and the players um, were improving and and I felt I was on top of my game. But if I think back to what I did well there, like I'll give you an example, Um, there was a day each week where I didn't go into work. Um, And I told the staff and the players don't come in, you know, so essentially it was a day off, Um, it was was the one day off each week that all the staff and the players didn't have to come into the building, Um, you know, obviously the coaches had to do some work from home so I would do some work at home but I I wouldn't go in which was about a 45 minute drive either way for me um, from where I live in Sydney. Um, I would get um, an opportunity to go, and um, you know the, um, the 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 float pods, you know, like the the, um, the float tanks. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, with magnesium, S- in it, I'd go into a S- float.
0: Me.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd go into a float um, for an hour each week. I'd get a massage. I'd train. I'd take my wife for brekkie or, or lunch. Um, but you know what I mean? Like it was just an opportunity to get away from footy for the day, and and the staff and the players would come in the next day. And just, make the energy in a joint would be enormous. And my energy would be great because, you know what, I had an opportunity to train and relax and meditate or, and, you know, or whatever you want to call the float tech experience. But, you know, I'd come in and be really energetic. Well, I'd try to outwork everybody when I went to Brisbane because I came in there um, six weeks into pre-season. So that already been training under a different coaching staff. I was up there by myself and we didn't start the year that well. So... You know, the, the work ethic, I've always prided myself on having, a, you know, a, um, a high work ethic. and But it went silly, mate. So I, I was doing things like getting in there at five in the morning, not training, you know, like going in and actually working, not going in to train before everyone came in. I'd go in, not train, at about 5.30 or 6 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd go and get Subway or go and get a takeaway meal outside the building, and then I'd come back to the building and work from, say, 6.30 till about 10 o'clock and then go home because I was living in a one-bedroom apartment, mate. I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to – the performances aren't great. I'm just going to outwork everybody. And what I did over a period of time, mate, was fatigue myself. So I felt as though I probably wasn't at my best because I was tired, mate. And I thought by just work, 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 that would improve the player's um, and improve the team and so on. And it was, it was, you know, looking back, I'm thinking, what the hell was it doing? But when I've been at my best, mate, I've allowed myself to have some time away from, you know, the club or the game. And when I've been at my worst, my learning was you've got to be energetic for the group. You've got to be on point for the group. You've got to be on task. And by doing that for me was allowing myself a day each week or half a day each week where it wasn't just about work, mate. It was about, um, you know, self-care or, you know, investing in in relationships or, or um, you know, investing in the family or whatever it was, mate. Yeah, so that was a big learning for me.
0: It's really an investment in your performance and the recognition that you're a performer too. Like you said, like there's a really easy example that you just gave there. Your energy needs to be high as the head coach you can't slink in after 4 hours in bed and yeah. like you know this better than most mate players pick up on that within half a second yeah yeah they know immediately they know that you know and 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 this is something that i really want to get across to head coaches is everyone is looking at you all the time and they pick up on those things yeah. and it create it creates the environment probably easier than a lot of the other interventions that we put in place, where it's a training intervention or we're going to do this with our culture now, like your behavior is being watched. And, yeah. and, and I want us to be partners in performance with our players rather than adversaries. And what that means is, yeah, like you can still be a ruthless competitor. You can still outwork everyone and have a day off so you can go to lunch with your wife.
1: Like that's not yeah. unreasonable. No, man. And that was my learning. You know, I, I th- I think it was just because, mate, you know, I got up there and there was, as I said before, it was really highly in Australian sport, it was highly controversial, me leaving South to go to Brisbane. And I didn't want the club to fail. I didn't want the, the people who offered me that opportunity to go up there to 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 fail. I wanted to prove I I had it in my head I wanted to prove people wrong rather than prove people right. So I just looked at it I looked at it from a different perspective, mate. I got, you know, I was invested, mate. Like, you know, I was invested heavily in trying to help the club be better. There was a really young group of players coming through. And and the reason why, you know, my understanding is the reason why I was offered such a long contract is because they wanted to bring the, the young players through over a period of time. But, you know, when results weren't going great, boards or clubs Start to panic a little bit, particularly when they're businesses, um, and you know they want they want success straight away. So things were a little bit skewed once I got up there. But mate, my biggest learning was the players pick up on on your energy. And as you said, mate, if I'm coming in and I only had three or four hours sleep because I've been up working or been in at work, then over a period of time you'll yeah, you know, your energy, your enthusiasm starts to probably wane a little bit, and I reckon the players pick up on that, and you become a bit more agitated to, you know, the different things from outside the building, and um, and a lot of it's because, mate, you're not looking after yourself.
0: And so, then, what are your reflections on what I position as the God particle and letting go of some of that power? It's another thing that we as head coaches traditionally don't do well in terms of putting good people around us and entrusting them to do their jobs so that they can be at an optimum in their performance, but it also has a knock-on effect back to us and allows us to, to focus on what the head coach needs to focus on, which is these days there are so many elements to head coaching that didn't even exist 20 years ago that are now kind of at the forefront of what a head coach in elite sport has to do. So what are your reflections on that kind of letting go process
1: yeah so um i was really fortunate Make to spend three years at, at the melbourne storm and um for for those outside um australian sport there's a guy called craig bellamy who is um you know one of the leading coaches in in all of the, in all of sport in australia um he's the head coach of the melbourne storm have had sustained success pretty much since he joined the club in um 2003
0: top five globally with it without yeah, a doubt.
1: yeah. without a doubt yeah so, so, like, you know, mate, what, what, a, what a club to do your apprenticeship at. And there's another person there who's the general manager of football called Frank Panisi. And and Frank is um, such um, a, a great support to, to Craig in, um, in in that environment there. And one of the things I, I learned was, A, you know, to um, have a general manager of football who supports you so much and, 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 um, and adds to the program is really important, but B, Craig really delegated um, to his staff and he gave you a role and let you do the role. And the only time he'd sort of, yeah you know, talk to any of the staff about the role is if they weren't doing the role, but he was great at delegating. And, and you think about, um, he didn't have an ego. He, he gave people their role um, and he let them get on with it. Um, and I'll give an example. Like, you know, he's very much a, a defensive bias coach as a head coach. He, he you know, if we've, Defensively is strong, he believes. And, and, and you know, in our game, if you're good defensively, then you give yourself a big chance to win games in, in, in rugby league. So for instance, in attack, he delegated to the attack coach. And I don't think I saw Bellyake ever come up with a um, come up with a, a play or or a shape and attack. He's let the attack coach do that. And that was one of my biggest learnings. And I think I did that really well at South Sydney. I wanted to do it really well at the Broncos, but, mate, I lost trust in some people in in the organisation, so I felt as though I probably had to do some other things away from the X's and the O's and away from the relationships, so that took me away from the main thing. And um, Pat Rowley, the famous basketball coach, um, had a saying that I learnt off. Craig Bellamy and Frank Panissi at the Storm was keep the main thing the main thing. So if you're the head coach, you know, the main thing is you coaching the team, coaching the players, building relationships, um, you know, making sure that's good. And I felt as though I I didn't keep the main thing the main thing when I was at the Broncos. I did it south because I had a fantastic general manager of football in Shane Richardson who was... Very much like a, a Frank Panisi to to Craig Bellamy, Man, He took away a lot of that stuff, you know, whether it was boards, sponsors, um, you know, all the peripheral stuff that yeah, you got to you got to sit across, but it's not your main thing. Whereas in the Broncos, mate, I, I just felt like I wasn't supported from um, some people in the organisation, so I didn't delegate as as effectively, and yeah, I, I probably um, got that wrong there, mate. You know, as far as yeah, letting, you know, look, leaving others to do their role. And, and, but also the club probably didn't support me enough, mate, to allow me to do the role um, in some ways. So I hate saying that uh, publicly, but yeah, it, I, yeah, I've seen how it works effectively and efficiently, and, um, and I've seen how not to do it. And I probably, yeah, didn't do that effectively enough, mate. I didn't delegate enough because I probably didn't. Yeah, I probably didn't trust some people in the roles or whatever else, mate. And, um, you know, trust is an interesting thing, you know, in coaching. Like, it's almost like, you know, trust is built up over a period of time, and but also it's eroded over a period of time. And I like to think of it as a deposit or a withdrawal, you know, from a bank account. Um, and, um, yeah, mate, I, I, I got it wrong at the Bronx. I, I wish I had – I had some great people around me and I had um, some people that – Essentially, awesome trust in as well.
0: Moving on to the next chapter in the book is around identity as a coach and this, I guess, easy trap to fall into of thinking that you're just a head coach. And, you know, you've talked already about your background in in teaching and you're a parent and, and a husband and you've got all these different elements to your identity. How do you think about that now, having gone through what you've gone through in terms of just how easy it is to kind of slip into that single lane of like, I'm a head coach. Like even what you're doing now around mentoring another head coach in the league and kind of being at arm's length from the job. How do you think about who Anthony Siebold is now?
1: Yeah, it's really interesting that one, Cody, because, like, I think, you know, your, your identity is a head coach. But people who recognise you in public or whatever think, "Oh, that's that's the coach." You know what I mean? And, and so all your conversations often are revolved around, you know, your, your, your job. Um, but it was really interesting. I was sitting down having a coffee in this comeback probably about two months ago here in Sydney, and a young kid in a school uniform and his old and his old man, um, or oh, his dad rather, and no, um, his dad um, come up to me at a table, I was having a coffee, and they said, oh, you used to be a coach, didn't you? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you, you used to be a coach. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm still coaching. I'm still coaching, but I'm a dad. <laughs> uh, I've got three daughters, so I, I consider myself a dad first. So that was a really interesting sort of, moment because I'd been out of the Broncos probably for a couple of months and I was back living in Sydney and I don't want to be identified as a coach, mate, first and foremost. I want to be identified as, as a dad, you know, like, so when people ask me what I do, I used to say, yeah, I'm a coach, but now I say, yeah, I'm a dad. And whether that's because I've gone through a shit experience, I'm not sure, mate, but um, I've probably got a better perspective on it now than I had um, because, yeah, you do identify yourself, I'm a coach, you know, I'm a coach, that's what I do. But it's like a player, mate, you know, we often see players transition out of rugby league or AFL here in Australia and it's a tough transition to what they do next because they're in their early 30s most of the time and they've got another 30 years of work to do, mate, you know what I mean? Not everyone's lucky to walk straight into a coaching role or a media position when they exit um, their life as as a sportsman or an athlete. It's another 30-odd years that they've got in their, their um, work life more. You know, like retirement age is, 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 is going up each, each you know, period of time. So the players that struggle are the ones who identify themselves solely as a, as a player. I'm a footy player. But I think sport's doing it better and better with regards to transitioning players out of sport because of, you know, there's been compulsory study at different times at different clubs that I've been involved with. Yeah. Um, you know, or apprenticeships or traineeships or whatever else. So I think clubs are doing a little bit better. But, yeah, for, for a coach or a player, it is hard transition, mate. And it is hard because often you identify yourself, well, I'm a footy player, I'm a footy coach. Um, but I think I've got better perspective on it now, having gone through um, the experiences that, that, I've, that I've had. And probably my priorities, are, if they were a little skewed, I reckon they're a little bit better on point now
0: and I'm not exempt from that you know the thing with this is it's a powerful drug particularly at, at that level of you know head coach or CEO or, or athlete or whatever it may be like I I struggled with giving up my title as a head coach I'm like who <laughs> who wants to listen to some author you know what like what what am I now you know <laughs> and yeah. uh, and so even as someone who's written a book about it and a chapter specifically about identity is like, a, even I struggle with it. And that was my main concern was wanting to be a head coach. Like I, I love having the players and the group and the camaraderie and, and everything that we have there. But, but you're right. It's, it's about really understanding that those, those priorities of kind of the flow of your identity and, and a job, whatever the job is, should really never be at the top of that. It doesn't even matter if you are a a husband or a wife. Like, you're you're someone's son or daughter Yeah, first. Like, there's got to be something above it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting you say um, that, Cody. I remember Frank Panisi, who I've got so much respect for. He's the the gentleman I spoke about earlier, uh, the general manager of football at Melbourne Storm. And he's always said, um, just remember that, you're coaching somebody's son. Mm. You know, he used to say that to the coaches. So, you know, they're, they're all somebody's son. So, you got to care for them and you got to respect them. You can critique the performance, but not critique the person, if that makes sense. Um, and that really resonated with me when he used to talk about that. But I, I think from the you know the identity um, piece, um, you are you're somebody's partner or dad or son or daughter, um, and um, and that's 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 the priority, you know. But we do and because we invest so much time made as coaches, as you said before, you know, you 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 want to help other you coach because you want to help others. I haven't seen too many coaches who coach because it's about themselves. I'm sure there will be some, but I haven't really come across that in my experiences. They're all about helping others. But I think it's, you know, and because you want to help others, you you sometimes prioritize that has been the you know that that has been the most important, but um, I think on reflection, mate, it's really good to have balance and it's good to have perspective on things. And yeah, if you ask me to describe, you know, who am who am I? Like I'm a dad, mate, That's 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 my priority. Um, and probably a little while ago, maybe I would have said oh, I'm a head coach first before I thought about being a dad. But I think yeah, um, you know, always learn, mate, don't you?
0: Looking at kind of all the things we've talked about so far, so I want to kind of move on to, you know, you're hired for your brain and that idea. Again, reflecting on your experiences, what we've just talked about and kind of creating that space so that your brain and your decision-making and the space that you have to make really great decisions in a coaching environment, which I don't think we give enough credit to just how, fast those decisions need to be made how repetitious they are how they play out in the public domain and how they play out in the public domain in front of 10 20 30 40,000 people
1: <laughs> yeah
0: how how do you think about creating that space now to really make sure that you're making those a plus decisions over and over and over again
1: well, mate, my biggest learning is, and it, you know, it, it's in and around self care, I suppose, you know. Um, so you talk about um, some key pillars and some key pillars to be at your best, mate. I build around sleep and exercise and, and nutrition and, you know, whatever you think about mindfulness, you know, whether it's breathing or, um, you know, or meditation or, 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 you know, sitting in a float tank or, or whatever it is. I, I think there's some key pillars, mate. Like I, so I think being at your best as a coach is built around looking after yourself first. That's one lesson that I learnt when I was at my best as a coach versus when I didn't think I was at my most effective. So, I, I, mate, I, I think it's built around self-care. Um, I really do.
0: I never had a problem with sleep as a player. And as soon as I started coaching, couldn't sleep the night of the game. So, so bizarre. Like it's almost, I think of, uh, so Dr. Craig Duncan has this book called self-science and, you know, Craig's obviously a, a legend in Australian sport. It's all about that. It's the idea of how like even things like that can change. So same sport, same person, Aussie rules, Cody Royal, I played hundreds and hundreds of games, never struggled with sleep. I mean, never. And then <laughs> flip it over to, you know, you've got all the responsibility of being a coach and you're kind of sitting there staring at the the ceiling, you know, at 3am going, did I prepare them well yeah. enough? Did I tell this guy that? Yeah. Did, did, like, do did they, did they know when to slide? Do they know when not to slide? Do they know when to, <laughs> you know, you're going over all of it. And it, it's so funny because it is, a science, isn't it? Like you've kind of got to go through it and learn and learn what your meditation is. Is it a float tank? Is it a long distance run? Is it actually sitting with your yeah. legs?
1: Yeah, mate. I, like that resonates that nice, because I've had plenty of sleepless nights as well, mate. Like not just before games, but after games, you know, when your team doesn't perform that well, you know, like yep. shit, what do I do in preparation that hindered the performance or,
0: you know, like, you, yeah, you
1: might, you, I know exactly what you're saying there. And it's easier said than done. You know, when I said, oh, the key pillars of sleep, exercise, it, 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 that all makes sense. But when you're in the, the washing machine, so to speak, as a, as a coach, um, it, you know, you, you, you're spinning um, all the time. One, one of the things with regards to sleep, because I used to have lots of ideas pop up in my head or, or I'd be thinking about different things um, and, and it's not, it's an idea that was, was tossed to me and I had some, you know, and I found it beneficial. It was just a, literally having a notepad beside the bed. So, you know, let's just say I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, and I, and I thought about something and it was coach-related. Um, rather than sort of dwelling on it and being in my own head, mate, I just write it down. And, I'd, and And what that did for me was, it just reminded me, okay, I've got to put some thought around that the next morning when I woke up or when I went into work or whenever it was. But I found having a notebook there was or enabled me to be, up, be able to dump um, some of the thoughts that were running around in my head because otherwise I found that I just would be stewing on things or thinking about things. So um, that that was one thing I found effective. I'm not sure if that works for everybody, but um, just actually just writing down a keyword or, or, or a name or a key topic on, on my notebook allowed me to sort of dump it and and get back to sleep.
0: I think the other one just quickly around coaching performance, particularly all the elements around your brain is is really around communicating that to the organization and the team as well and why that's important. And this is what I mean about being partners in performance is, you know, I think because we've set a standard of always being available, always being in the office, always, you know, always, 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 there's just this belief that the coach is always going to be there. And yeah, yeah. that that doesn't line up with performance. Like the the hilarious thing of, of it all is that we know that we need that space. We need that time away from it. We need sleep. Uh, we need nutrition. And so that means by default that we can't always, always, always be there. But that yeah. needs to be an expectation that's set with, with people. You know, I'm going to be unavailable for these couple of hours, but it's because I'm going for a run or because yeah. I... Um, yeah. sleeping or napping or whatever it may be so that I can be better for you guys.
1: Honestly, mate, look, that just makes a lot of sense, mate, because you know how I said before my learnings where I thinking I was going to outwork everybody. So I prioritize the work first rather than sleep or, or um, you know, exercise or, or, you know, even eating decent meals. It doesn't work, mate. You know what I mean? You think it, you, you can make it work, but it doesn't work. Yeah, so, as I said, mate, I'll go back to, I don't know if it's the right words to use, but like self-care as a head coach or self-care as a coach or someone who's a leader in whatever industry it's in, I think that's a priority. And as you said, mate, um, putting that in your diary or your calendar, so to speak. Um, so, there is an hour in your window that you can go and exercise or go for a walk or whatever it is, mate. I think that's, that's really important. And um, that is a big, big learning or a big takeaway, you know, for, for, for me from my experiences.
0: I'm going to skip ahead here, mate, because we're going to run out of time and I, I want to get to a couple of other things with you. But I did want to circle back on the idea of, and this ruffled a lot of feathers calling a chapter tactics don't really matter. But really, yeah. it's, it's around tactics don't really matter as much as we think. And the point yeah. is that, you know, connection and belonging between the players and the coaches and the organization. I think is of utmost importance and I think is the foundational piece of the tactics. If people don't give a shit either about each other or about the team or the organization or whatever it may be, you can have the greatest tactics in the world. And I I still don't think they work like you're, you're one, one bad pass away from someone believing that they don't belong there and they're never going to reach their full potential if that's the case one one you're one bad pass away so for all the tactics it's i just think it crumbles so easy what what have you seen around that and again you've you know you've been at, at places like melbourne storm that yeah just seem to ooze this sense of belonging people walk in there as un unrated players and come out state of origin players yeah. And to me, that's got to be more than just they're tactically set up to succeed. It's got to come from some sense of, of belonging and connection.
1: Look, mate, look, if you talk about X's and O's or strategy, everyone watches everybody play, don't they? You know what I mean? Like, so I'll use my sport, Rugby League. You, you know, you you look at trends in opposition teams, you look at trends that work, trends that don't. Um, you know, everyone um, will, will, will teach players to catch the same or pass the same. You know, a lot of the core skills... Don't change from club to club, and I've been to a couple of different clubs. All those different types of things are pretty, um, you know, are pretty consistent across organisations that I've been in. But the difference is, mate, is that connection piece. It is, and some things that I've seen really work. I'll give an example. Like you know, Melbourne Storm, and um, and they have a lot of players from different countries in the in the, in the organisation, but they will have a, they will have cultural evenings, so. If you're Fijian, you get an opportunity to to cook Fijian food and have um, some some um, ritual or present to the, the rest of the group rituals that are important to Fijian players or Tongan players or Samoan players, or you know indigenous players, whatever it is. And I've seen that used at a couple of different clubs, and it works really effectively that because it means we value your um, yeah we value you as a person, we value where you've come from, and when people feel like they belong, it's not about X's and O's. And and as I said, um, getting to know people on a deeper level is really important. I reckon one thing that I did well at South Sydney was that connection piece. And I used um, a really simple strategy in the first place. It was called Triple H. And um, I got the idea from a book I read um, called... um, you win it in the locker room, which is essentially saying what you're saying, mate. It's not about the X's and the O's. It's about the relationships and the connections. And anyway, I I got this idea um, from from that book and I had every player, I I actually scheduled in a meeting each week of pre-season. I want to say a meeting, like, you know, on their schedule, Triple H session. And starting with me as the leader, as the head coach, uh, but we would have three people get up each week in the Triple H sessions and share their hero, their highlight and their hardship. And I don't think out of the, I don't know, 50-odd, 60 people, players and staff who did the Triple H, I reckon there'd be 70% who, when talking about their hardship, were in tears. And that builds connection, mate, because when you're vulnerable, uh, particularly as a leader, you get to know each other a little bit better, mate, and it's authentic and it's, uh, it's 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 deeper. And I don't think I got that right at Brisbane. I don't think because I came in six weeks into the pre-season, if I had my time again, I would have spent the first couple of weeks observing the players and just let them do their, their old schedule and would have done things differently around the connection piece, mate. Um, but because i come in six weeks late, I thought, oh, shit, you know, we've got, we got games coming up in, you know, in X amount of weeks and I need to get, you know, the X's and the O's and I need to, you know, look at the strategy and the tactics and, you know, whatever else. But um, I got it right at South Sydney as a head coach. I didn't get it right at Brisbane, but I would prioritise, mate, that. That, that's, that's the most important, mate. And as I say, you know, Melbourne did extremely well. Um, South Sydney did it extremely well. And I'd like to think that I did extremely well at South Sydney, but I certainly didn't at, at Brisbane. If I had my time again, I would have done, you know, the Triple H stuff to start with at Brisbane. And, you know, as I said, just observe and learn and um, and, and, and then make some decisions in and around the, the X's and the O's. Yeah, they're
0: such easy things to prepare for the players but so rich in in insights about who people are because they'll they'll tell you and and i'd go a step further and say you got it absolutely right there and and i don't want to gloss over it is you went first Uh, i think again that's that's the real key to any of these activities whether it's the cultural cultural evenings or it's the triple h or uh, whatever it may be it's you as the leader, go first. You set the tone. Yes. If you, and if you're yeah. not vulnerable, do you know what you're going to get? Nothing.
1: Yeah. So, no, no, no I, I,
0: Got to lay it on the line.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, mate. That was one thing that um, I was, I, you know, I, I thought it's important that I get up first and, and be vulnerable first as a leader. But, mate, I'll tell you what, mate, those sessions were, the, the feedback from the players from those sessions Still now, if I bump into any of the South Sydney boys, often, mate, the conversation goes back to to that, you know, not not the games we won or the tactics that we had. It was, you know, a lot of it goes back to to that connection and, and relationship that we built off the back of things like that. Now, that was just one strategy. We did multiple different things, but that's a simple strategy that I think can work in any environment.
0: I think that's the most robust way to approach it. Like winning can drive belonging and connection as well. Let's not, you know, kind of gloss over that fact is shared hardship and winning is hardship does that too. But a more stable way to do it and to not put the demands on winning for you to feel connection and belonging is, yeah, these kind of activities to, to really get to the heart of who people are. Because like we've been talking about, they're not, football players. They're football players now at this time in their lives. You're a head coach at that time in your life, but it's so much deeper than that. And, you know, people's real identities are particularly where they've grown up and what's influenced them and what's brought them to this point in their lives. One thing that I just want to jump in quickly, you've been, you know, outspoken about online abuse in particular and particularly around the abuse that that you received. Just quickly, tell us what you've been up to in that space and trying to, you know, be an advocate there and, and really bring that to the forefront of, of conversations in Australia.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so for those people outside of Australia um, last year, I was heavily defamed and harassed on social media and not about performances as a coach, but um well, you know, my private life um, and my family were harassed and defamed. And so it was It was obviously big news here in Australia because of my position as a head coach in one of the major sports at one of the major clubs. Um, and there's a lady who works in the media out here called Erin Molan who called me, who had been um, similarly defamed and harassed on social media and said, we need to do something about it. So I had a really crappy situation, Cody. Um, you know, we um have both been you know advocates for, for change on social media here in australia and literally last week mate i'm not sure if you know this but literally last week the bill was presented to the senate um uh, in, in and around social media um uh, or changes to social media legislation so the anonymity of people online um, now, um, won't be such. Um, social media platforms have to give identities to people who harass or defame. Um, there's financial penalties and, and criminal penalties. And essentially, um, make I've tried to make it out of a crappy situation, make be a, an agent for change in, in that space and on those platforms because in, not just people in high-profile positions here in Australia, but other people, whether it's um, in the workplace, um, school children have been bullied, defamed, harassed online and it's led to people hurting themselves um, and in some extreme cases committing suicide And um, I think you know having some sort of profile here in Australia um, to be able to to say this isn't good enough, this isn't the Australian way or this isn't the way that we want um, you know our kids to grow up or the environment we want our kids to grow up in or people to grow up in. Um, yeah, there's legislation change in the way, which means police and the um, the e security commissioner, which we have out here in Australia, um, have um, yeah have have um, stronger laws to support the policing of of that space.
0: That's incredible, mate, and well done to you and Aaron and everyone involved in that. And you know, hopefully, changes like that are, are coming across the globe. And like you said, mate, I, I mean, you should, shouldn't have had to go through that and your family shouldn't have had to go through that for, you know, losing a couple of footy games.
1: Yeah, yeah, mate. That essentially is what it was, mate. You know, it pretty much, yeah, we were losing and I think people didn't want me to be the coach anymore um, or didn't like, you know, didn't like me as a, as a coach. And, yeah, it, it was really ugly, mate. But, yeah, passed it and um, hopefully there'll be some stronger changes, and it's in parliament at the moment, and it'll, it'll be passed. And you know, like that's going to help protect people um, going forward, which is which I'm really proud of, mate. To be fair,
0: you should be, mate. Quickly tell us about your TV show recommendation,
1: right? Okay, <laughs> this, is the, this, is the,
0: this is the most important s- part.
1: <laughs> <laughs> So I said before before we we jumped on um, and started recording, I I said to Cody Yellowstone, for those who don't watch it, Kevin Costner stars in it. It's about a big, massive ranch um, in the United States. I love it. Um, So get onto that. And one podcast to listen to, which isn't educational, if you just want to, yeah, just when you're driving somewhere um, or, you know, working around the house or whatever it is, get onto the uh, Victory podcast, which is... Uh, for those people who remember Entourage, which was a um, HBO TV show um, back in the 2000s, it was, um, yeah, it was a really good show. I loved it. And a couple of their stars and the creator um, are on the, the Victory podcast. So watch Yellowstone, listen to the Victory um, podcast when you, yeah, when you when you want to chill out, when you don't want to learn um, too much, you know, when you just want to relax and, and um, have a bit of time away from 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 learning they're both two good things to look at mate
0: love it kevin costan's the the greatest actor of all time and i won't hear any different from anyone. how good but, oh, well. the bodyguard
1: mate if you don't know kevin costan go back and watch the bodyguard
0: there you go awesome Steve. I, I really appreciate this mate um i'm absolutely delighted that we got to connect and, and meet and, and i've loved our conversations and this one's no different and if people want to get in touch with you they can find you on linkedin
1: yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm not on any other social media platforms, but yeah, LinkedIn, mate. you know, obviously um, it's a good way for me to connect with people um, inside and outside of coaching. Um, yeah, mate. So yeah. on LinkedIn.
0: Awesome, mate. I appreciate your guidance and um, our chats and yeah, mate, thanks for coming on where others won't.
1: Yeah. Good on you, Cody, mate. My pleasure. As I said, mate, i um, love the book and it's been great to connect mate like um it really has mate i've got a lot out of our conversations as well and i appreciate you having me on mate
0: thanks mate